to Great Loop Radio, brought to you by America's Great Loop Cruisers Association. We're dedicated to sharing Great Loop information and inspiration with those actively cruising, planning for, or dreaming about a Great Loop adventure. This is Kim Russo. I'm the director of AGLCA. Today my guest is Brian Adams, and Brian is an AGLCA member with lots of expertise in safety at sea. Um, And since AGLCA is focusing a lot of content on safety in the month of September, we thought it was a great time to bring Brian in as a guest for the Great Great Loop Radio podcast. So um, before I get down to the conversation with Brian, I do want to take a moment to recognize and thank our Admiral sponsors who support AGLCA at the highest level. They are Beneteau, Curtis Stokes & Associates, Dog River Marina, Passage Maker Trawler Fest, Skipper Bob Publications, and Waterway Guide Media. As always, we encourage our listeners to support these businesses that support the Great Loop. Brian Adams, thank you for joining me on Great Loop Radio today. Hello, Kim, and uh, to all the Loop Association members out there. And I know you're getting ready to go out on your own loop, so thanks for taking the time while you're preparing to join us. Tell us a little bit about your boating and boat safety background and a little bit about your loop plans, if you don't mind. Sure. Um, My wife and I have been uh, boating primarily on the Great Lakes region for uh, probably 30 years or better, both in cruising and sail racing. Um, And then we've done some other venues uh, outside the Great Lakes. And more recently, over the last six years, I have become involved with U.S. Sailing Safety at Sea programs. And basically... Uh, we have day-long seminars and cover a variety of topics uh, related to safety on the water, uh, and I moderate those day-long uh, seminars. And so that's kind of what has brought me to uh, speak uh, to you today about uh, some safety at sea topics. And then, yes, uh, probably about four years ago, uh, my wife and I started kind of talking about what we wanted to do in in retirement and uh, we found out about the great loop uh, and it sounded like something we would be very interested in doing and started doing some research joined the association and uh, did a lot of homework and two years ago we purchased a 42 foot uh, Grand Banks classic uh, trawler uh, to do the loop, and so we've worked uh, over the last couple of years kind of learning the trawler side of boating and doing some upgrades and kind of making it our own, and we actually will be starting the loop from Milwaukee, Wisconsin in two weeks. Well, we're excited for you, and I know a lot of our listeners will be looking for you out there flying the burgee, so congratulations on getting started, and good luck as you begin the adventure. Um The reason we're talking today is because you were nice enough, and I love when our members do this, but we were exchanging email about something different, and you mentioned a lot of your background in safety and offered to help out with sharing some of that information. So you wrote a wonderful article for the Great Loop link, and you titled that, You Go In As You Are. Explain what you mean by that title. Well, basically, uh, what I was hoping the readers would uh, see in that title or start them uh, to thinking about is when we're out uh, on our boats and we're underway and really enjoying the, the scenery and, and the activities uh, uh, surrounded uh, uh, with traveling, 
um, what if something were to happen and we went overboard um, in a moment's notice? And basically, uh, what I was hoping to get people to start thinking about is what do you have to take with you as you go over um, uh, that you'll have in the water to kind of survive or to wait until help can come back and pick you up? Are you wearing, you know, shorts and flip-flops and a shirt? Or uh, do we have some more equipment uh, that's going to help us uh, um, wait out that water rescue uh, just a little bit longer? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I thought it was such an intriguing title because it made you stop and think kind of immediately about the topic at hand. So we appreciate that you wrote that for us. Um, so ideally, you or your crew will never go overboard, um, but it does happen, and it can happen to anyone. So, But let's start with, in, in an effort for that not to happen, give us some tips on what you can do to make sure you stay aboard the boat when you want to be. Sure, and the prevention definitely, like with so many safety topics, um, you know, is the first line of defense. And so when I'm talking about prevention as far as uh, a man overboard type situation, uh, stems from from several different areas. And one is um, the, the you and your crew or the, the boater and their crew should really know the boat that they're working with. And what do I mean by that? I mean walking around the boat knowing where things like trip hazards are. Uh, knowing where the handholds are. So many of the boats that we travel on have handrails as we move about the boat. And we should be, as boaters, should be very, very comfortable with knowing where they are and being able to grab them. It should almost become second nature. Because, again, as, as we travel around, there are things that happen that can change the motion of the boat underneath our feet, things like wake from other boats or uh, as you're coming into a dock, the uh, skipper realizes they're coming in too fast or something and need to throw the boat in reverse very hard. Well, that can kind of throw crew members off balance if they're not prepared for it. And so if we kind of have a perception or... um, uh, we've kind of practiced a little bit, grabbing handrails or knowing where those handholds are. We can kind of keep ourselves on the boat. So many times, uh, a lot of the power boats and sailboats that we travel on have uh, low lifelines or low handrails uh, around the outside, and our center of gravity is above those. And so we just need to be really conscious of that. Um, you know, as we go, we need to be a little bit conscious of uh, the activities that we're doing uh, as far as things like docking or entering into locks. There can be a bump in the boat or change in direction, as I mentioned. We have to be consciously aware of overreaching. Uh, Sometimes we want to get that dock line on a piling and we're getting our center of gravity uh, to where it would be difficult to recover if something would happen. So that's kind of what I'm referring to. Um, You know, if we can kind of prevent and talk through and talk with guests and crew members about our center of gravity and and things like where the handholds are, that's going to go a long way to keeping keeping ourselves on our boats. Yeah, and I I love the suggestion to, you know, get used to those handholds and use them when you don't need to use them Um, because we all tend to forget to do so. 
when everything is stable, but it's definitely a good thing to just be in the habit of reaching for those handholds as you're going up and down and, and walking around. So I think that's great advice. Um, but what do you suggest we do? Um, and as we said, we hope it never happens to any of our listeners, but we know it does happen. If you do find yourself in the water, um, walk us through what to do so that you can get help sooner rather than later. Sure. Um, yeah, it, it does happen to some even the most experienced uh, boaters out there. Uh, individuals who have years and years of boating experience um, can be actually, can kind of become complacent. Uh, nothing has ever happened to them before, and uh, uh, so it's safe to assume nothing will ever happen. And, and that gives us a little bit of a false sense of security. And um, so uh, once, uh, in the event that it does happen, uh, we're going to be into the water, and we're going to be without a boat. And we're going to need to be able to sustain ourselves until help can get back to get us. And that can be a variety of time frames. Um, uh, crews who, uh, professional sailing crews, for example, who practice uh, religiously man-overboard drills can turn a, a sailboat under full sail around and, and retrieve a man overboard in as little as five minutes. But they practice that continuously. Um, you may very well be in the water off of a powerboat for 10 or 15 minutes. Um, and so you're going to have to be able to keep your head above water. And, and one of the biggest factors or one of the biggest pieces of equipment to help keep your head above water till help comes back is a personal flotation device. Um, and we talk an awful lot about those. Uh, as a matter of fact, I mentioned in the article in 2017, the United States Coast Guard statistics show that 85% of drowning victims weren't wearing any type of personal flotation device. And so they do have an effect on them. Um, when we're in the water without one, you can become fatigued pretty quickly, uh, no matter the physical fitness that you're in. So I do try to promote wearing of those devices. Um, and the great thing about per, uh, personal flotation devices these days is there are so many styles and types out there. Um, they're comfortable, they're lightweight, they're not hot. Some of the old styles were, um, you know, not very comfortable in warmer climates and, and those kind of things. They are even, manufacturers are even designing uh, inflatable life jackets, for example, that are fit for comfort for a variety of body sizes, and that includes women as well. Um, they're designing these uh, inflatable personal flotation devices uh, in a variety of colors now. They're really trying to appeal to the wearer um, and the style and type that you can uh, uh, that you can purchase out there. Yes, they've certainly become much more wearable and much more comfortable. Any idea, Brian, um, because one of the things when my children were little, um, of course, they were always in their life jackets, but they didn't make the inflatables for children at that time. Has anything changed with that? Because we know a lot of loopers, we're seeing more families out there, first of all, but also a lot of people will bring grandchildren aboard. So any specifics on the comfort of child life jackets while remaining safe for a child? 
Yeah, I, unfortunately, we really still aren't seeing uh, inflatable type uh, uh, flotation devices for children yet. There's too many variables where um, uh, adults have to make a conscious decision if it doesn't inflate, how uh, you know how to orally inflate the type life jacket or a, or a manual type thing. So children still are required to have an inherently buoyant vest on. Uh, and I know they can be hot and a little bit uncomfortable, but again, they are working on different styles and looks for them uh, to make them a little bit more comfortable for youth. Good to know. And I think a lot of youth are a little more tolerant of being uncomfortable in them than maybe adults are because they're so much <laughs> enjoying being on the boat. So <laughs> sometimes they're a little right. more patient with things like that than, than we are. Uh, we're going to take a quick break and play a message from one of our sponsors. When we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about what to do if you do find yourself in the water. Um, any tips that you might have, Brian, for making yourself more visible for those coming back for you. Um, and we'll also talk about making sure that your uh, personal flotation devices are kind of up to snuff and doing the testing each year. So we'll be back in a moment. Good morning, loopers. Many of you are probably already cruising in southeastern waters, and that is where the salty southeast cruises net focuses all of its efforts to help you enjoy your time on the water. So as you prepare for the next leg of your journey and as your resource for accurate, timely, and useful information, we want to invite you to use and add your knowledge to the wealth of information that's available through the Cruisers Net in its directories for marinas, bridges, and anchorages, as well as the latest fuel prices in your area. Our mission of Cruisers Helping Cruisers May we invite you to help those following in your wake by sharing with us your cruising experiences. Thank you. Have a great day. We're back on Great Loop Radio. Today we're talking with Brian Adams, and the topic at hand is safety aboard once again, but this time we're focusing specifically on man overboard and uh, personal flotation devices that have course, are critical should that ever happen to you. Um, so, Brian, I'm not sure if we quite finished all the things that you should do if you find yourself in the water. Obviously, having your PFD on is, is going to be extremely important, um, but are there any other tips you have for what somebody who finds themselves overboard should do? Well, uh, yeah, there there are several things, and one, uh, frankly, uh, is uh, uh, once we find ourselves in the water, your, our sole goal as an individual who's in the water is to, is to be found, is to get back on board or get to dry land. And so the, the number one thing that we can do is calm ourselves down and have an understanding that we will be rescued, someone will come back for us. Um, it may take them some time, depending on the skill level, uh, you know, to get a powerboat stopped, turned around, uh, to get sails down on a sailboat, for example. Um, there's some maneuvering. There may be currents. All of these things can weigh into factors that uh, um, add to the length of time for a rescuer to get back to you. The biggest thing that we can do when we're in the water after staying calm is to stay put. Um, this is the point uh, where we've gone into the water, and if... Uh, those that are left on the boat have marked the spot via electronically. Um, you know, this is a point where they can navigate back to. Um, if we try to move too much, swimming, 
those kinds of activities were going to be burning up a lot of energy. And we're going to need some of that energy to get back on the boat, to reboard. Um, and in some of our waters that are much cooler, we are going to start to accelerate heat loss, uh, which is hypothermia. And once we become hypothermic in the waters, then we're even more of a victim um, as we uh, try to get rescued. Now, when we're in the our primary job for the individual in the water is to be found. And so what are some of the things that we can do to help rescuers find us? Well, uh, I talk a little bit in the article about thinking it bigger, brighter, and different than the surroundings. And so what I mean by that is bigger is anything that we can do uh, to find some debris, to find a log, or hopefully um, the vessel that you fell off of, they're throwing some uh, type rescue rings or uh, some flotation or even cockpit cushions, something like that. If we can get a hold of those, that starts to make us a little bit bigger than just our head the size of a basketball floating in the water. Um, if we can make ourselves brighter, um, whether it's at night or during the day, uh, this helps to make us a more identifiable target in the, in the um, uh, water, darker waters. And by brighter, I mean if we have, for example, uh, a PFD on, a personal flotation device on that is bright colored, uh, the oranges or the fluorescent yellows, uh, those become very easy to see. Um, brighter can also uh, be things like a light switch, or I'm sorry, a, uh, a personal flashlight. We, we should have one with us. And those can be effective even in the daylight, shining them back at the vessel that's coming for you. Uh, we can wave it and, and shine it across their, their vision. And then things like different. Uh, what do I mean by that? Well, um, we want to look a little bit different from the surroundings. Um, and we can do those things by waving our arms, uh, slapping the water around uh, around us, uh, splashing, that creates a visual target. Um, and then something as simple as blowing a whistle. Um, that helps make us different from our surroundings. And those are all items or, or uh, things that we can do as a person in the water that helps focus the rescuers on how to get back to us. Question for you, Brian, that really isn't something you, you covered in the article but um, that I'm wondering about. When you're uh, boating with your wife, um, one of the things that worries me is that if someone were to go overboard and it, you know, it's lots of couples doing the loop and if one person is you know, maybe up on a fly bridge and the other person goes down below to take care of something and should happen to f fall overboard, that situation could not, might not immediately be noticed by the person on the fly bridge. Do you have any tips or anything that you and your wife do to prevent that type of situation? Right, yeah, and I, I think it's been discussed in the forum as well, is, you know, different techniques that um, cruising couples do do to communicate as they go up and down. And you're right, um, one with one individual up on the upper helm, the other individual goes down below and they do go out of sight. And if you don't necessarily hear the door slam, for example, um, you know, are you really confident that they made it down below? And so one of the things that we try to do is either um, with 
some of the headsets uh, that are out there, we can communicate uh, that way. Or uh, we some vessels have an intercom. Uh, they can communicate, hey, I'm down below. Uh, do you need anything as they come back up? Uh, you know, just a short, quick little message uh, along those lines. But uh, you're right, cruising couples should establish some sort of communication as they start to travel up and down um, between the different levels of the boat so that uh, we know that we're in. And the other thing that we do is, frankly, you take a visual 360-degree look around the boat. Uh, we're up there, uh, you know, keeping a sharp eye out anyway. And uh, so as, as someone goes up and down, if you just take a quick spin around, uh, that adds to a little bit of confidence that, you know, they hadn't fallen off the boat. Right. So let's talk a little bit more about PFDs because they are so important. Um, and, you know, as you said, you go in as you are. So the, the chances of you actually wearing your PFD is going to be much higher if it's the right one for you. So any suggestions on how to determine the best PFD for yourself and for members of your crew? Yeah, and there is such a variety of manufacturers and styles out there now. And I, I really avoid and my colleagues really avoid recommending in any one particular brand. Um, what I would suggest uh, if, if you don't have uh, a PFD that you're comfortable with now or you're in the market to purchase a new one is to go to uh, some of the uh, channelries that we have or marine stores around the loop and try a variety on. See what's comfortable for you. Um, how does the uh, waist strap fit uh, around the rib cage? This should ride a little higher. Um, on the body? Is it comfortable around your neck? Um, and are all of the features accessible for you? Um, th those are the kind of factors that are going to lead you to want to wear it uh, more often uh, if it's comfortable. And then some other things to look for in purchasing, particularly inflatables, is we really want you to get uh, a vest that has a rating of either 33 pounds of buoyancy or sometimes if they're made in Europe, it's, uh, there's 150 newtons. And that relates to the buoyancy of the inflated bladders. And that amount, those are the minimum amounts that would take to turn you over if you found yourself face down uh, in, in the water. Um, okay. So Yeah, that's very helpful to make sure that, it, you know, you're getting the, the amount of buoyancy you're going to need. Wonderful. Right. Um, and just like fire extinguishers, your PFD is something that you should be checking at least once a year to make sure that it's still operational. Um, what Can you walk us through the steps of how, what you should be checking on your PFD to make sure it's going to do what you need it to do? Sure. And um, I really try to encourage everyone that I talk to to become very familiar with your PFDs and not just stow it away when you're not using it, uh, you know, throwing it under a lazarette or something. But actually, once, at least once a year, getting your equipment out and inspecting it visually uh, for wear and tear and nicks and uh, something that might affect the performance of it. And then one of the other things that we can actually do is uh, I, I like to encourage people to put the PFD on and then open it up 
whether it's a zipper type enclosure or Velcro, but actually open it up and all of the uh, inflatables in particular have oral inflation tubes. If for some reason the automatic system didn't work, um, we can still control and help ourselves when we're in the water. And we can blow these things up orally. And while you're wearing it, pull the oral inflation tube out and start inflating uh, your PFTs. Um, see how many breaths it takes you uh, to inflate it. Usually seven to eight uh, good deep breaths will uh, pretty much fully inflate it. It might take uh, a few more than that. Um, but the other thing that you're doing is you're starting to create some muscle memory as to where that oil and oral inflation tube is. You're also getting a feel for the fit once the PFD has been inflated around you. How does it fit around your neck? How does it fit around your waist? Can you lift it up with your arms and push it up over your head? Well, if you were in the water and it was so loose that it came up over your head, then it's not really being very effective for you. And we need to adjust the straps on it, those kind of things. Uh, once we've done that, you can take it off while it's still inflated and set it, we should set it aside for at least 24 hours and come back to the inflated PFD and it still should have the same um, uh, stiffness to it or uh, firmness to the inflated bladder. If it does not, uh, then there's a leak somewhere or, or something else is, is wrong with it. And usually these are not repairable. It's best to just discard them and, and uh, purchase a new one um, for it. We can also, while we have it opened up, we can look at the inflation cylinder. We can unscrew those, make sure that they still look intact. There's no rust on them. Uh, we can check uh, a lot of the different styles. We'll have indicators green indicators that they are armed and ready to go. And then two other things that I really promote uh, with PFDs is they should have a whistle and a light attached to them, some sort of light. And these are extremely low cost, low maintenance, low tech type items that have um, aided in many, many rescues of individuals in the water. Uh, it's just unbelievable the stories out there where it's something as simple as a whistle and a light that has brought rescuers to, to the individual in the water. Um, and then after you've done all of that, you can repack it and you have the confidence uh, that uh, that PFD is going to be effective for you if you would ever need it in the future. Brian, is there any typical schedule for how frequently you need to replace a PFD or replace the cylinders or anything like that? Different manufacturers have recommendations. Generally, the cylinders um, uh, will last for a long, long time, and that's why I encourage um, everyone to take and visually inspect that cylinder, uh, look at the end of it, if there's a little puncture mark in the end or it might appear to have been compromised. Those are things we need to change out. Uh, but generally, uh, if they look visually uh, good, they'll, they'll last for quite some time. As far as the overall um, uh, length of time uh, for these wear or yeah, these inflatables, um, you have to check with the different manufacturers. 
seven, 10 years, even up to 15 years, some of these things are, are good for. But doing the annual check is the surest way to make sure that uh, uh, yours is good to go when you need it. Perfect. Brian, thank you for joining us today, and thank you for the article in the Great Loop link. We wish you and your wife uh, the best of times on your Great Loop adventure that you're getting ready to start. Great. Thanks for having me today. And, uh, yeah, we're really, really excited to start meeting other loopers out there uh, as we journey around. Really looking forward to it. Well, make sure you let me know when you get to Charleston. Okay, we will do. All right. To our listeners, thank you for joining us once again. We'll be back next week with another episode of Great Loop Radio. Until then, safe cruising. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.